Good evening, everyone. The reading this evening is from Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the word of God. Thanks for all that reading, Heather. Good evening, church. Uh, maybe just to greet those who I haven't greeted or, or don't even know, my name is Black, um, the young adults pastor here at Christ Church Midrand. And if you are joining us for the first time, you've caught us at the end uh, of our series in the book of Jonah. Um, It's certainly been, um, yeah, just a a great couple of weeks um, as the Lord has been speaking through the book of Jonah. How many of us have been here since the beginning? Show of hands. Cool. It's good. Uh, All the talks are on the website, so if if you just want to catch up. Um, please do go on the website uh, and listen to some of those talks. It will, I think, enrich you. It's going to be beneficial um, for you um, as you hear God speak through the book of Jonah. It is, it is an awesome book. Amen. It is. It's been a challenging book for me. Um, I've had conversations with some of you after the services uh, just about how uh, this book is challenging. And I would encourage you that even as we get to the end of it now, formally, uh, continue reading it. Revisit chapter 1 again. Um, and, and, and get stuck in. Um, 
I think it's, I think it's timely that we, um, and it's God's uh, grace, that we end off chapter 4 with the commissioning of Christ Church in Obupila. Um, because the book of Jonah really emphasizes what we saw it displayed, uh, what Royden and Martin were, were talking about. Uh, the book of Jonah calls for us to not be selfish about the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, not to be selfish about what God has done for us through his mercy. Uh, but to be the custodians of that very uh, gospel and take it out to the ends of the world, um, especially to those that are enemies. Amen. Those we would not like, those we struggle to love, uh, to know that God loves them as much as he's loved us. Amen. Um, And so I I would pray that you would be encouraged, uh, even as you continuously pray throughout the weeks for Christ Church in Ogupila, that it would remind you of the call uh, that's over your, your life. Um, and maybe as a way of uh, an introduction for today's sermon, let me say this. Uh, two things that I've been praying that we would take away from the series. One uh, is what I believe the heart of the book of Jonah is. Uh, the statement that we've been repeating over and over uh, for the past couple of weeks as we've been looking at the book of Jonah. Um, and I think that's the most important thing, to see how God relentlessly pursues after Jonah, how God relentlessly pursues after us. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what dark corners of life you have gotten yourself into because of the sin that we sometimes hold on to when God has called us to let it go. Um, Whatever corner you have gotten yourself into, however far sin has deceived you, uh, the book of Jonah wants you to remember this, that God will relentlessly pursue you to eliminate sin's grip over your life. God does not want sin to have a grip over your life, and he will pursue you relentlessly to eliminate that grip. Why? Because he wants to propel you towards holiness. He wants you to look like Jesus. He wants you to live a life of light. He wants you to live a life of one who has been called out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. He's going to pursue you to propel you to live a life of holiness. And he will fearlessly chase you, especially from the darkest corners of life that you have gotten yourself into. I think that's the one thing, um, if there's nothing else that we take away from this, that we remember that one thing. But what's the second thing? The second thing is this, Mzalwan, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus. If you're sitting here today, right, you have not primarily been saved for yourself. You've been primarily saved for God's grace. You've been primarily saved that God would use you to go save other people. Amen. And for some of us, that's probably daunting. Uh, For some of us, uh, it might be news. (laughs) Um, But you have been saved to be used by God in his hands to go save others. Um, That's why we're here. That's why we constantly remind ourselves that we are a redeemed family of servants on mission. We are on mission. Mzalwan, a Christian disciple, you are on mission. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that you are on mission, right? Uh, We are on mission. We're on mission. Uh, With the traffic in Midrand, let's just be realistic. None of us want to live here, right? Uh, But we're here because God wants us to be here. Um, And he wants us uh, to be here because through us, he wants to save other people in Midrand. Um, You work where you work. Uh, You occupy the spaces you occupy because God wants you to save other people through you. Amen. Amen. And I, I would pray that, that we would be encouraged um, 
and be moved uh, to go live that out, uh, even as we formally get to the end uh, of our book um, of Jonah. I'm going to pray for us, um, and maybe just to excite us at the end, uh, Showers is going to come share a little poem with us uh, as we close over, of, of, of close uh, the series off. Uh, it kind of uh, just has the heart um, of the book of Jonah. Um, so uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll get stuck in. Well, Jesus, we are grateful again um, that uh, we have the privilege of partnering with you as you save other sinners same way you've saved us. And thank you so much that you have not left us nor forsook us, but you constantly, relentlessly chase after us. You did that when we were running away from you, running towards sin and death, and you brought us to yourself. And Father, even now, as your children, we tend to run away from what you've called us to, and that is to share you with others. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reignite the flame for some of us. And for those who are tired, um, Father, that you would encourage them uh, to energize that flame. And for those who are running, that you would continue propelling them to run, even as we see Christ Church in Ogopila being uh, planted. That you would be with the team that goes there, Lord, and give them energy um, so that souls in Tembisa and President Park would one day also sing holy is the lamb because Christ Church Nobupila was faithful to your gospel so I do pray that you would help us uh, even now in your wonderful and precious name we pray Amen Amen. It would be uh, of great help uh, for me if you'd keep your Bibles open to chapter 4 we're going to be doing a lot of digging around there um, and just walk through uh, this, this chapter um, I'm not going to start off with a recap. I think chapter 4 calls us uh, to recap quite a lot because as it's the closing chapter of the book, uh, the author also then reflects uh, on what he has said before. So we will get to some of that. And even if you haven't listened to the other three talks, I don't think that you'll be lost. Um, I think it's clear enough in chapter 4 all that he will still link to the other other chapters. Uh, But... Let's start here. When we ended off in chapter 3, we realized that chapter 3 mirrored chapter 1. In fact, it mirrored chapter 1 perfectly, verse by verse. So chapter 3, verses 1, mirrored chapter 1, verses 1 exactly. Uh, And so it went on. Um, A similar thing happens here in chapter 4, but not exactly. Uh, There isn't a verse by verse mirroring, uh, but the certain verses that are mirrored in chapter 4, that mirror chapter 2. So at the beginning of chapter 4, Jonah starts off with a prayer. Uh, He does the same thing in chapter 2. He starts off uh, with a prayer. Uh, Though the prayer that Jonah starts off in chapter 2 with, and we've seen a couple of weeks ago when we looked at chapter 2, that prayer was covered, uh, wrapped up in Jonah's religious performance. Why? Because Jonah was trying to manipulate God. Uh, Jonah was trying to perform religiously and spew out all this religious jargon, throw his fancy theology back at God, because he was trying to manipulate God so that God uh, would change his mind about sending him into Nineveh and hopefully send him back home uh, to Israel. 
And so we see in chapter 2 that Jonah doesn't repent. Instead, he's just playing and dancing religiously so that he can get off the mission. But now in chapter 4, when Jonah starts off his prayer, Jonah's done with his religious performance. He's done with his religious dancing. Now he doesn't care at all. He's coming at God with his chest out. He's coming to God with his heart out. I'm even tempted to saying that he's coming to God uh, man to man. But God is not a man. Uh, Although Jonah, in his arrogance, his big-headedness, selfishness, he thinks that he can come at God. And so he's coming at God with his chest out, with his heart out. Read there verses 1 and what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What displeased him? Well, what happened in chapters 3, and we'll we'll get into that. But before we we answer why Jonah was exceedingly angry, the author would want us to notice that word, exceedingly. What does that word mean? There's, There's a couple of synonyms that I would give to paint a picture of what that word exceedingly means means something extreme, something immense, something tremendous, supreme, grand, big. Uh, Where do we first see that word exceedingly? We see it in chapter 1. That's the first time we see it where the sailors uh, exceedingly feared the Lord after the storm. Uh, The next time we see that word exceedingly is in chapter 3, where Nineveh is described as an exceedingly great city. city that's big, that's grand, that's tremendous, that's extreme. It's massive. And so now when we get to chapter 4, we are told that Jonah uh, is exceedingly displeased. His His anger is deep. His anger is big. His anger is extreme. Right? His anger is immense. And so then we have to ask the question, why is Jonah so angry? Well, the answer is simple if you've read chapter 3. The thing that Jonah did not want to happen has happened. God has shown mercy to Jonah's enemies. It's the prophet of the Lord. We're not surprised now by the time we get to chapter 4 because we've seen how Jonah has behaved. But his heart is out here. Jonah is extremely upset. Right? Uh, while I was prepping this sermon, I was actually supposed to hit up the rector because uh, I was thinking to myself, can I say the P word in the pulpit? Right? That Jonah is extremely the P word. Right? Uh, I didn't clear it up with him, so I'll just call it the P word, right? But he's angry. Jonah is exceedingly angry. He is displeased. Why? Because God has shown mercy to his enemies. So in chapter 4, this anger is not just a a surface-level anger. Jonah feels that God has behaved in an unfair, cruel, and unacceptable manner. That's what Jonah feels. Jonah feels that God is unfair, that God is cruel, that God's behavior is totally unacceptable. In other words, Jonah feels that God's mercy is evil. That's what Jonah feels. God's mercy is evil. How could you extend mercy to our enemies? That is evil, and that's what irks him. That's what pees him, right? Um, We have to work throughout this text to to see that, because you might be thinking, well, there's no word that says evil there. How do you get to that conclusion? Um, Well, let's read verses 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Toshish. Since chapter 1 till now, we have not really been given a direct answer of why Jonah ran. Again, he's coming to God with his heart out, with his chest out. He doesn't care anymore and is telling God face to face, yo, this, this is in fact why I ran in chapter 1. Um, I, I ran away in chapter 1 uh, hoping that that would deter you. Let me go. Right? That did not work. We saw it in chapter 1. And what did Jonah uh, opt, opt for? He tried killing himself. He tried committing suicide, hoping that if he dies, then God would find another prophet. Why? Because Jonah does not want to be part of this unthinkable thing, this evil thing of God showing mercy to his enemies. In fact, again in chapter 2, he does his religious gymnastics because he wants to convince God to send him back home. He does not want to look like a, a traitor to his own people. How can I be a prophet who is part of this unthinkable thing that God is doing? But God does not let Jonah go. God does not let him go at all. Again, God relentlessly has been pursuing Jonah to eliminate this, this, this grip of sin over Jonah's life. He wants to propel Jonah to holiness. You're a prophet. You're an Israelite. You're my son. You need to look and behave a certain way. And so God chases after Jonah, chapter 1, right up until here. And God is going to continue chasing him even as we get to the end of chapter 4. So two things have been happening here. Jonah cannot see that God has been relentlessly pursuing him. Because God has, and we've seen that. The only thing Jonah has been focusing on is God's relentless pursuit towards the Ninevites. And Jonah finds that repulsive. He does not see that God has also been pursuing him. These two things have been happening simultaneously. As much as God is sending him to pursue the Ninevites in the same way God is pursuing Jonah. But Jonah has not seen that. He has not seen that God has relentlessly pursued him. Instead, he's seen a God who relentlessly pursues. He sees a God who has a big heart. He sees a God who has mercy, but he hates the fact that that mercy is for his enemies. He is repulsed by this. He is disgusted by this. All that Jonah is thinking to himself is, well, in chapter 1, you called me to go to them. That's who you called me to go to. These people that you are relentlessly pursuing, these enemies, these people who don't deserve any goodness or any mercy. Chapter 2, he's thinking to himself, you appointed a fish to vomit me onto their shores, the shores of our enemies. Chapter 3, you sent me into the belly of their empire, because that's what Nineveh was, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. You sent me to save them. How could you do this? This is disgusting. This is repulsive. This is evil, Jonah is thinking to himself. And that's what he's doing here in chapter 4. He responds to this relentless pursuit and calls it evil. Again, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, the word evil is not there. How do you get there? Let's continue reading. Verses 2. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I knew this is you. I knew this is who you are. What Jonah is doing here, he, he is calling out God by his covenant name. This is God's covenant name. A God who is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. 
Where have we seen this name of God before? Well, we've seen it in Exodus 34. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down and read it when you get home. In Exodus 34, what is happening? Well, the Israelites have turned their backs from God, this very God right, who has rescued them. They've created a false idol in the, fall, in the form of a golden calf. If you've been to Sunday school, you know that story. Um, and then out of anger, real anger, at real sin, Righteous anger, not like the, the anger that Jonah expresses here. Moses, who comes down from the mountain, after getting the two tablets with the Ten Commandments, he breaks those. And so then in 34, God calls Moses back to Mount Sinai to give him the commandments again. And then in verses 5 till 7 of 34, listen to what the Word of God says. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there. So God is standing with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. What is the name of the Lord? Well, verses 6, God tells us, The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, uh, transgression, and sin. So this is God's personal name for his children. So what does Jonah do? Here's Jonah in chapter 4. A child, so entitled, basically throws back his dad's name in his face. Right? This is who you are. I knew you were going to do this. And what is Jonah saying here, basically? He's saying, you are my God. Right? In other words, you are my dad. No one else is dad. You are supposed to love me and no one else. You are supposed to clothe me and no one else. You're supposed to play with me, dad. No one else. Your attention, your affection, your care, all of that is meant for me and no one else. And we remember that Jonah, uh, the, the people who are reading his book are the Israelites. And so he stands as a representative of the Israelites. They're thinking the same thing to themselves. We are your children. We've walked with you. Uh, you gave us the, your laws, not these other people. All these other nations are evil. These other people murder their babies. They kill each other. So if you would suddenly become the dad of other nations, then that's evil. That's basically what Jonah is saying. That's what the Israelites are thinking as they're reading this. If you would become the dad of other children, then that's evil. Because you're my dad. No one else deserves you. All that you have is supposed to be for me and me alone. What would we say to Jonah? Jonah, you need to wake up. Wake up, my friend. If you actually paid careful attention to your dad's name, you would realize that your dad is on a mission of adoption. That's what your dad's name means. The name that you, you're throwing back in his face means exactly that, that your dad is on a mission of adoption. You yourself, Jonah, are his child because of adoption. You've been adopted. Again, when we think about the Israelites, you guys were not the largest nation. You were not the strongest nation. You were not the richest nation. Not impressive in any aspect to move the God of the universe from his throne to move towards you. You did nothing. You too are adopted. This is a reminder for us as well this evening. If you're a Christian, if you're sitting here, you trust and believe in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wake up, Mzalane. You are adopted. You did nothing to be here. 
You did nothing to deserve the mercy of God. You are adopted. Maybe it's hard to say it to your neighbor, say it to yourself. I am adopted. Right? You are adopted. And so through you, God wants to adopt other orphans. That's why you are adopted. That's why you are sitting here where you work. If you're in your season of singleness, if you're married, if you're a parent, if you're a student, whatever space that you occupy, God is saying to you, carry yourself as a child who has been adopted. Why? So that orphans would be so attracted they would want your dad. You are adopted so that through you, orphans could also be adopted. And maybe to clarify here, God is not calling us to live as perfect adopted children. Children will fall. Children will stumble. But children get up because they know they have a dad. They get up because they know they have a dad. This is Matthew 5.16 stuff where Jesus says to his disciples, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to who? Your dad who is in heaven. Live as an adopted child so that orphans would ask you, yo man, how can I be part of your family? I'm an orphan. This life is rough. I don't have a dad. And the one I think is my dad is Satan. He doesn't have my back at all. Instead, he's treating me like a slave. I want your dad. How do I enter your family? How can I also be adopted? I'm tired of living on the streets. I'm tired of not having proper clothes. I'm tired of not being cared for. How can I have your dad? Give them the dad's name in verse 2. He is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So you turn around and look at that orphan in the eyes and say, Orphan, if you repent from your sins, call out my dad's name. His arms are wide open. He is ready to receive you. Again, you have been adopted so that through you, your dad would adopt other orphans. Amen. There's a, a famous painting. Um, maybe famous is relative, right? Of the thief on, on the cross. It's in an old church in Turkey. If you don't know what the thief on the cross is or who the thief on the cross is, it's one of the thieves who hung next to Jesus when Jesus was dying. The thief acknowledged Jesus for who he is, the Son of God. And Jesus then turned around to the thief and said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so what the painting depicts is the thief on the cross in heaven, at the gates of heaven. And he's standing there welcoming all these other saints, Abraham, Paul, Peter, Jeremiah, Moses. But why is the thief on the cross at the gate? Well, the thief on the cross is to is there to remind everyone who enters heaven that if he's there by not doing anything, then no one can get in those gates by thinking that they have done something. You did nothing 
deserve the mercy of God. Instead, he moves towards you in his own love. And calls you in. So again, you are adopted so that through you, your father would adopt other orphans. Verse 3, Jonah is so entitled, though, um, that he would rather die than to be with a dad who has a heart for other orphans. I'll say that again. Jonah is so entitled he would rather die than to live with a dad who has a heart for other orphans. And so in verses 4, his dad asks him, God asks him, if his anger is justified, do you think this is right? For you to be this angry over me showing mercy to other people. And that same question God asks us this evening. You might be sitting here and you have clear enemies, people who have hurt you, who have offended you. And the book of Jonah, over the past couple of weeks, has reminded you that if those same people would turn from their sins and ask your dad for forgiveness and accept Jesus, your older brother, they would be saved. But that thought alone irks you. Amen, some sinners out there. Or am I the only one with enemies? Just thinking it. If the person I really hate tonight would ask for forgiveness, everything they've ever done to me, God would forgive. Their slates would be wiped clean. I have to be honest, Bazalana, you're like, ah, man, that's God, come on, bro. I don't want to be like Jonah. Arai, God, ah, come on. And everything in you wants to say, okay, God, I, I, it's fine, you can give them mercy. But can something bad happen before? Just in you, you know? Fall off a truck, maybe lose their job. Something bad, Nje. Shook them up, Gangan. God is asking you this evening, do you do well to be angry at his mercy for those people? Do you do well to be angry? You did nothing to deserve God's mercy. You were someone's enemy. God saved you. Do you do well to be angry at God's mercy towards your enemies? But some of us don't have enemies, right? And you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, that does not apply to me. I don't have beef with nobody. Everybody likes me, right? And if anyone around me would be saved, amen, hallelujah. But you're probably sitting here as an adopted child refusing to be used by your dad to adopt other children. Yes, you don't have enemies, but you are sitting here as a Christian and you don't want to share your faith or you haven't even shared your faith because you are just waiting for Jesus to come back and take you home. That's also a sense of entitlement. Your, your passivity is saying, Father, Dad, I, I'm above the family business, right? Let the other children that you have adopted to do the dirty work, to go out there and call the other orphans. I'm a princess. I'm a prince, child of a king. God's favorite. I 
I'm just waiting for you to come back and take me home. God is calling you, princess, to wake up. Wake up. You are adopted. Therefore, live like a child who's adopted because through you, your father wants to adopt other children. None of us Christians can escape the call to go share Jesus with other people. None of us. God is calling us. Wake up. Live like adopted children. Verses 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Remember what we said at the beginning that chapter 4 mirrors in certain aspects chapter 2. Let's think about what happened at the end of chapter 2. Jonah gets vomited by the fish onto Assyrian soil. And so now in verses 5 of chapter 4, Jonah now vomits himself out of the land, as it were. He's been in the land. In some sense, he vomits himself out. Um, But he does that as a response to God's question in verses 4. So in verses 4, God had asked Jonah if he does well to be this angry. True Jonah style, Jonah says, yeah, of course, of course, I do well to be angry. So much so, God, I think I'm, I'm so right. I'm actually going to go out of the city to give you space to change your mind so that you can burn these people. I don't want to be here. I'm going to vomit myself out of the land. Why? Because I want to give you space. Change your mind and burn these people. I am right, really. So in verses 5, Jonah is basically saying to God, Dog, I'm waiting. Change your mind. I'm waiting. What does the author want us to remember of Jonah? In verses 5. Jonah doesn't think that sin has a grip over his life. Jonah does not think that he needs to be propelled towards holiness. Jonah does not think that he needs to be pulled out of this dark corner that he's gotten himself into. I'm fine. God, you change your mind. I'm going to give you space. I'm okay. You change your mind and burn these people. What does God do? God continues to relentlessly pursue Jonah. If you're reading this thing honestly, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, if I was God, I'm just destroying this dude now on the spot. You're going out of the city to give me space to change my mind. Do you know who I am? If I'm God, destroying you now. Glad God is not a Zulu man, right? Kretang awe manj. Yongaz gut mubani. Mingari. But God doesn't do that. He does not do that. Instead, he continues to relentlessly pursue Jonah. That's what the author wants us to see very clearly in verses 6. Listen to what verses 6 says. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Four things that the author wants us to see as we contrast verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. The first thing is in verses 5, Jonah has a booth, a hut, right? 
if we were, uh, if rather Israelites or South Africans that say, right? So he's built a little mkuku for himself. Uh, in verses 5, his little mkuku does not give him proper shade. How do we know that? Because in verses 6, God appoints a plant that provides better shade. So in other words, his little mkuku was shady, right? Uh, see what I did there? Right? But God gives him a better mkuku to provide him with real shade. Secondly, in verses 5, Jonah's booth wasn't well designed. It brought him some, some aches and pains. So in verses 6, the plant God appoints saves him from his discomfort. Thirdly, in verses 5, Jonah is upset at God's mercy. And he calls it evil because it is towards outsiders. But in verses 6, Jonah is exceedingly glad because God's mercy is towards him. Fourthly, at the beginning of verses 6, the author uses the word appointed. Like when he says, now the, uh, the Lord God appointed a plant. Where again do we see this word firstly? Where do we encounter it for the first time? We go back to chapter 1, verses 17, when God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Chapter 2, we know Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights alive, experiencing God's mercy. So what does the word appoint say to us? The word appoint means God's mercy has come to Jonah. That's exactly what happens here in chapter 4, verses 6. God is appointing his mercy through the plant. So here again, Jonah in his arrogance, God, I'm stepping up, giving you a chance to change your mind. God doesn't respond in justice. God does not respond by punishing Jonah, but instead he pursues Jonah relentlessly, wanting to eliminate sin's grip over Jonah's life, wanting to pull him out of this dark corner that he's gotten himself into. God remains faithful to his covenants. God remains true to his promises. This God will not forsake nor leave anybody he saves or even draws to himself. This God can be trusted, Bazalon. He can be trusted. Why? In verses 5, Jonah is outside of the city waiting for God to change his mind to burn Nineveh. But in verses 6, God is merciful towards Jonah to change Jonah's mind so that he's merciful towards the Ninevites. God is faithful. This God can be trusted. This God's heart is big and his heart is for everyone. It's for you and your enemy. Your ex that you want to burn. God's heart is also for you. Right? Right? His heart is big. He doesn't stop chasing after Jonah. He won't stop chasing after you. And that does not mean that you intentionally live in sin. But knowing that this God is not going to stop chasing us is supposed to really move us towards him. To leave the sin that so easily entangles us towards, to move towards him. Verses 7 till 8, as we get to the end of chapter 4, God wants to work out Jonah's self, selfishness. Right? And God wants Jonah's eyes to be open, wide open. Because he wants Jonah to see his sin for himself. He wants Jonah to see what has entangled him. What's this dark corner that he's gotten himself into? Why? Because he wants Jonah to avoid that altogether in future. Jonah, I want you to be holy. So I want you to see what it is that you are doing. 
How does God do that? Well, verses 7 till 8. Let's read that together. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed again, there's that word, a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Verses 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. If you read the book of Jonah, like you realize life is in God's hand. This guy's been trying to die. <laughs> He's been trying to die. Right? And God is like, nah, dog, not done with you. Not done with you. There the word appoint screams mercy again. It screams God's love. It screams God's intimate involvement in our lives and Jonah's life. You might be thinking to yourself, how, how is that mercy? God taking away the plant? Gave Jonah shade. How's this mercy that God appoints this the scorching east wind to beat on Jonah? How can you consider this merciful, loving? How can you consider this as as intimate? Well, let's dial back a little bit. Right? Um, God uses the picture of a plant. There. It's not random, as He puts it in in Jonah's story. Um, God is reminding Jonah and Jonah's original readers of something what does the plant mean to an Israelite if you taking notes take these um, these passages down and you can read them when you when you get home first king four first kings four verses 25 listen to what it says and Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Bathsheba every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon Micah 4 4 but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make him afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Zechariah 3.10 In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Joshua 24 Verses 13, this is a reminder of Israel's history. And God says to them, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. Again, I'll just repeat those passages if you're taking notes. First Kings 4.25, Micah 4.4, Zechariah 3.10. Uh, in Joshua 24, 13. Uh, but what, what is God uh, using this, this picture of every man sitting under his own vineyard and fig tree? Basically a plant. What is that a sign of to an Israelite? Well, it's a sign of safety, joy, peace, prosperity, flourishing, and goodness. Where every man is sitting under his own plant, under his own fig tree, under his own vine. This is, this is a sign of peace, joy, prosperity, flourishing, and goodness. So that's what God is reminding Jonah of here. Verses 6. Right? When the plant came out, Jonah was experiencing safety, joy, peace, prosperity, flourishing, and goodness. All things that Jonah did not work for. He didn't work for any of those things. He had his own makeshift mkuku, right? He had his own cut and joint, his own RTP house that was falling apart. And then God comes. Gives him a plant, sign of safety, joy, peace, prosperity, flourishing, goodness. That comes through the mercy of God. 
God is reminding Jonah, telling us this evening, no one can work for his mercy. No one works for God's mercy. Therefore, he will give his mercy to whom he gives his mercy to. He will withhold his mercy from whomever he wants to withhold it from. No one can work for it. No one deserves it. No one at all. It is on God and on God alone. Again, the picture of the thief on the cross. When we think of the parable of the prodigal son, and how, how the father is, is calling the older brother not to, not to sulk and stand outside. You did nothing to, to work for any of the stuff that I have. But you can come in and enjoy it. Just like your brother who was lost. Come in. He's going to enjoy it. You think he's your enemy? He's, he went off and squandered his wealth. He's back. He didn't work for anything. He'll get the stuff. You didn't work for anything as well. Just come in. So God is reminding us, let's not fall into that trap. Anything we have an experience of goodness comes from God's mercy. We did not work for it. As much as we think we deserve any of those things, which we don't, and God gives them to us because he loves us, so God will give it to whoever else. He will give it to whom he sees fit. And Maybe as we come to the end, and think about this picture of the plant. Yes, it represents that greater reality. But again, it is just a plant. So God asks Jonah a question in verses 9. Jonah, are you, are you really going to care about a plant? Sulk over a plant that you did not work for. Have pity over this plant. Have compassion over this plant. But you're not going to have compassion over real souls. Are you not going to have compassion over real souls? Verses 9, are you angry because I took away a plant? Again, in true Jonah's style, is like, yeah, vele. And I'm angry enough to die. This is meant to remind us again of chapter 2, verses 9, where Jonah heartlessly proclaims that salvation belongs to the Lord. We know that Jonah didn't believe that because he didn't repent. But here, in chapter 4, verses 9, God is reminding Jonah. Remember what you said in chapter 2, verses 9, that salvation belongs to me and you didn't believe it? Let me remind you. In fact, salvation does belong to me. And I will have mercy and disperse it as I see fit. I will give mercy to whomever I want to give mercy. Right? And this makes you angry. And again, Jonah says, yes, enough to die. Verses 10, God is straight with Jonah. How could you have pity for a plant? Compassion for a plant, but you don't have compassion for souls. A plant you didn't create. A plant you did not work for. So then in verses 11, God contrasts himself with Jonah. God is saying, well, shouldn't I have pity? Shouldn't I have compassion over creatures I created? Image bearers, creatures who went their own way and strayed away from me. Should I not have pity over them? All 120,000 of them. Should I not have pity over them? So God leaves Jonah with that question, and he leaves us with that question. Because that's how the book ends. And so he leaves us with that question. Do we do right to be entitled over God's mercy. Again, on one hand, 
showing off our entitlement by how angry we are at the fact that God is going to extend his mercy to other people or even use us as an extension of that mercy. Do we do right to be angry? Or on the other hand, our entitlement shows itself off by being passive. We quit serving God as we quit serving the lost with the gospel. We separate ourselves from the lost because reaching them is the job of other adopted children. David is going to go reach them. Royden, Martin, not me. But this job of reaching the lost, just give it to your other children. Let them do the dirty job. I just did my nails. Don't want to mess them up. Are we going to show off our entitlement by being spectators? God is not going to leave us there. I don't think God has left us there as we've been going through the book of Jonah. But he's been pursuing you. God is calling you. Right? You might think to yourself as you sit here, I don't have the gift of standing up front and speaking and sharing the gospel with people. There are hundreds and, and amen. It's fine. Right? But you make relationships. You know how to go for dates. You know how to cook and invite people. You know how to go golfing. You know how to go to the Shisanyama and enjoy my piano. Right? God has placed you in all those spaces. Love on people. Pray hard. The problem is not us not being able to share the gospel. Because God promises us in the gospels that the Holy Spirit will give us the words at the right hour. What's the issue? Outandazim, Zalwana. You're not praying. Because your heart is not for the lost. As you leave your house, you're thinking about a million other things that you have to do. And people who are lost, that's the last thing that you're thinking about. But if that was front and center, as adopted children, that would change the posture of how we pray. That would change the posture of how we move in our workspaces. That would change the posture of how we move in our social spaces. And that's the challenge of the book of Jonah. Do not be passive on one hand. Do not be angry at God because he shows mercy. Be an adopted child because of what Jesus has done for you. Because of how he hung on that cross and called you from the kingdom of darkness when you were an orphan and you did not have a dad to love on you. And Jesus willingly gave his life, called you a child. Come in, sit, enjoy peace, joy, flourishing, prosperity. Not for yourself alone, so that you can go out and go call those who are orphans. It is true that Jesus did do this for us. And the call for us this evening is to repent. Repent from our evil. Repent from the evil of not sharing Jesus with other people. The world is dying around us, Bazalon. And God has called us to partner with him as he saves it. Amen. Amen. Showers is going to come up. Um, and she wrote a very short poem that really is vulnerable and encouraging to us um, not to harbor resentment against our enemies but to really think about what Jesus has done for us and for us to be encouraged to go share Jesus with the people that we hate. Father, we 
sorry for forever considering your mercy evil. We are sorry for withholding the best news ever. It's the news of a Savior who hung on a cross for sinners and orphans like us. Please forgive us for letting our own sin occupy our attention, our minds, taking us away from you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our eyes afresh to the call of being disciples who make disciples. Help us not to have the heart of Jonah. Help us to have the heart of a father who is calling orphans from every corner of this world. Jesus, remind us of your sacrifice. Remind us that you are God's grace. Remind us that you are God's love displayed. Remind us that we were once orphans. Remind us of the sweet joy of being called your brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would help us to go live as adopted children in the world that you have placed us in. And again, we remember Christ Church Mabupila, that it would be exactly what the name is. It would give life, the life, the way, the truth. That's you, Jesus. We pray that these things would be true um, for all of us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.